the quality of your life is a direct result to your habits, your rhythms, and your disciplines and practices. And who you are today, right now, in this moment, is a direct result from past habits. And who you will be in the future will be directly impacted by the practices, habits, and disciplines that you adopt today. We're in this new series, this four-week series, and we're in week two. The series is called Habits and Rhythms. And each week what we're doing is we're saying, who is the version of you that you are made to become? And then we're taking aim at that version of you. And then we ask, how do you get there? And the answer is that the Bible has given you some disciplines or some practices or rhythms to put in your life that will help you become who you're made to become. And today we look at the ideal man. And when I say man, I'm referring to humanity, and I'll tell you why in a second. And so we're looking at this ideal man, and we're asking, how do we get there? And the answer that we get today, the practice that we're given today, is by meditation. Now, actually what we're going to see here is that you can't even come close to becoming who you're made to become without biblical meditation. And this is a bit of a problem because my guess is that many of you have no idea what that means. What meditation actually is. You're probably thinking of like this, this person who's sitting with their legs crossed. I can't do it while I'm standing. With like your hands on your knees and your thumb and your finger touching and eyes closed. And the, the purpose of this, like you've seen this picture of this before. The purpose of this is to empty yourself. But biblical meditation is not about emptying yourself, but filling yourself with God's truth. And what happens is there's a bunch of lies that are living in you and they're corrupting you. They're destroying you. And what God's word is doing is it's entering into you and it's going to war with the lies that reside in you. Lies about who you think you are and what you are. Lies about who God is and what he's come to do. There's lies and God's word goes to war. Now, you thought meditation looked peaceful. But biblical meditation is about a war that is happening within you. But the end result is peace and a flourishing life. So we're going to read our verses. We've got two two passages that we're going to read every single Sunday through the series. So we're going to read 1 Timothy 4, 6, and 7, which is our main text through the series. And then we're going to read Psalm 1. 1 Timothy. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also the life to come. Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. 
He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the ways of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. All right, first point. First Timothy 4.7 says, train yourself, train yourself for godliness. What is godliness? It is you becoming conformed to the ideal version of you. Godliness is to be changed, to, be, to, to direct your gaze even, to aim at the will and character of God. It's like the godly man has a target, and he's pulled back his arrow, and he's trained himself to hit that target, and he hits it like a master marksman. The Psalm 1 man is your target. Now, when it says, blessed is the man, it's referring to all of humanity. So whenever you hear me say man all the way through, I'm talking about humanity, the person, man, woman, and child. Psalm 1, it says, blessed is the man. Blessed also means happy. But it's not the bliss kind of happiness. It's the kind of happiness that can't be taken no matter the circumstance. It's a contentment that can't be stolen from you no matter your situation. And it's a joy that cannot be swallowed up by sorrow. And it's a peace that's yours no matter what. The waves and the wind of the world do not dictate this man. So how did he become like this? It says he was planted, but actually a better word is transplanted because every single one of us have been born into the wasteland of lies and deceit. Now, here's the thing about lies. Lies look like truths because the best kind of lies, the most deceiving kind of lies are the ones that are half-truths. They're truths that get twisted in on themselves and look like something good and beautiful, but they end up destroying you. And we're all planted into this wasteland. And what's happened is this man who's been blessed has been uprooted from the wasteland and transplanted beside the cool streams of truth. And his roots are digging deep. The man has been there after a long period of time. His roots have been washed over by these healing waters of truth, by the gracious words of truth. By life-giving words. And he's grown into this man who cannot be moved, cannot be shaken by anything that the world throws at him. His soul has dug deep. And he can't get tipped over. This is the man who is blessed. Who has abundant life. Now, the picture is of flourishing in every way. Physical Emotional, social, cultural, all because this man has been rooted into the truth and he has reoriented his life around truth. So I'm going to take those five things. I'm going to go through them. So physical flourishing, 
Now, this does not mean when you become a, a Christian, you are like magically healthy. That's not what's going on here. But it does mean something. When you reorient your life around this truth that the Bible throws at you, the truth is that you are a temple to the living God. You're a temple, and the living God dwells in you. So when you become a Christian, there's this thing that keeps getting said over and over and over again. God is Christ is in you, he's with you, and he works through you. And so you, be, you think about that, and you're like, this is one of the greatest honors I could ever receive. What should I do? Well, I should probably take care of myself. So I'm going to eat healthy. I'm going to sleep well. We talked last week about Sabbath rest. If you weren't here last week, especially if you weren't here last week, you need to go listen to that sermon. You're sleeping well. You're eating well. You're exercising well. Why? So that you are nourished to face the day for the glory of God. Nourished to face the day for the glory of God. All right, look, come back to me. I'm not saying that there isn't going to be the, the, that life isn't going to throw sickness at you. I'm saying you're prepared for it, for the glory of God and to face the day. All right, that's physical health. Emotional health. The emotionally healthy person, the emotionally healthy person has let truth fight their lies. The unhealthy, the emotionally unhealthy person is letting the lies rule them. The lies have taken over their life. This is requiring, this is like your training in truth. Guys, everything's okay. Look up at me. You are training in truth. So this is the idea of repentance. So, so the emotionally unhealthy person, like the lies, the claws are in them. The claws of these lies. And this is like this idea of repentance is you are taking these lies and you're ripping them like from your flesh. And it's painful. Because these lies have been ruling you for a long time. Now you're free from them, but it hurts. And so, so take anxiety. Anxiety is the symptom of believing in these half lies, these half truths, these twisted truths. And so watch, it's, it's easy for this to happen. Life in this world is hard. That's true. There's danger around every corner. That's true. Like your anxiety is already building. Like death is around the corner. This is, this is scary stuff. It's real. You're all alone. Not true. You have a God who's with you, who fights for you, who battled for you on the cross and will not leave you or forsake you and will somehow take all the hard things that have happened in your life and will happen in your life and will turn them around for good. So much so that when everything is said and done, it will feel like all bad things have been undone. That's a complete change of perspective if you believe that truth. So when bad things happen, you say, God will work good for this. I'm not saying it's not hard. I'm saying when, hard, when things are hard, you have a truth to hold on to, and you've got to fight for that truth. If you're someone who lives with a lot of fear, the Bible says perfect love casts out fear. And we often will become what we believe. 
So if you believe that you aren't loved, well, painful pe- people who are in pain hurt people. And so you'll, you'll, you'll start hating. You'll become indifferent. And then you're going to get trapped in this lie that you have told yourself that you're not loved. And then you're going to be corrupt and you're going to start hurting people because you believed a lie. Because there is a promise in the Bible. God is love and he loves you. This church loves you. I love you. Your discipleship group loves you. So let that truth change you and now give you courage. Make you brave. I mean, this is what love does. It makes you brave. It makes you fight for your friends. It makes you fight for your loved ones. Social health. So we did physical, emotional, social health. The healthy tree forgives their friends. Right? But you have high expectations of your friends. Like you know what they're capable of. So you have high expectations of them. Yet at the same time, you know the war that rages within them. And so if they let you down, you can forgive them. And you have to learn to do that with yourself, too. A healthy marriage. It's like relational health, social health. What's a healthy marriage? It's a, it's a marriage that has built, that's been built on this idea that love is not a feeling, but it's a commitment. And that commitment will produce feelings. But it's first and foremost a commitment. Like the person that you are married to will be different probably in 10 years from now. Elise is a very different person now than when I married her on March, 5, March 15, 2008, I think was the day. Is she in here? Don't tell her I did that. She's wonderful and different, but I don't love her because she's wonderfully different or better or worse. It's simply because love is a commitment. And you know, trees flower and blossom towards that which they are committed to and love. Our kids, my kid, my kids, they're, they're the fruit of the tree. And so I grow them, nourish them, love them, care for them, sacrifice for them. I'm fighting for them to become the version of them that God wants them to be. And so then I discipline them. But there's this thing, like as a parent, like there's, there's this tension. I don't even know if tension is the right word, but we have discipline and we have grace. When are you supposed to discipline them and when are you supposed to be gracious to them? I have no idea. And do you know why? There's not a manual for this in the Bible. Do you know why there's not a manual? Because there's a rule called love. And when you love someone, you have to do the work in your mind and your heart to figure out what they need. And each one needs something different. And I mess it up all the time. And so I get good at telling them sorry. That's a good thing to do. Social health. Honor your parents. For some of you, maybe your parents have let you down. And so, look, look at what we have. But you still honor them. You don't let them take advantage of you if they've been bad parents, but you still honor them. And you see, like, look, you've got to wrestle with truth here. And this is what truth does. It makes you uncomfortable. And in this discomfort, you say, well, this is true, so I need to reorient my life around this truth. Which means that 
well, the streams of truth require a lot of hard work from you. And then look, when enough of us start living this way, when enough of us become like this grove of trees that are planted beside the stream of truth, then you have a grove flourishing. And then if enough trees are flourishing and calling other trees to come and see this truth that we've discovered, you get a whole city flourishing. And that's cultural health. So this is what the ideal man begins to produce. And before we get into how you become that, there's a threat that stands before you that will make your leaves wither up and die. This is our second point, the warning here in our verses. It says, don't walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of scoffers. The company that you keep is important. Now, a lot of people make a mistake here. The Bible says something like this pretty often. And here's the mistake people make. Okay, well, I need to only then hang out with people who are going to make me better. Which means that those are people who are probably better than you. Because they're lifting you up. But here's the problem. If everybody says that, then if you're here and to the people up here, you're like, hey, can I come hang out with you so you can make me better? They're like, no, we only hang out with people who make us better. And so you've got nobody to be with. That's not the point of what this is saying. The point here is belong to a community of people who are reorienting their lives around the stream of truth. Who are digging their, their, the roots of their life in deeply so they can be washed over by the truth. And this is what the church is. This is why the church is important, because it's a community of people rooted in God's truth and helping other people find it. And the point of this warning is for you to use wisdom with who you sit with. Now, I'm not talking about who you're sitting with right now. Sit means like who you belong to. Like, these are my people. I am adopting their values. So it says... To walk in the counsel of the wicked. So you're walking in the counsel of the wicked. This is about the way you think. Who stand in the way of sinners. This is about your, your behaviors. So you have your thinking that changes your behaviors. And then it says don't sit in the seat with scoffers. Meaning don't belong in that house. It's about your identity. Where you belong. Don't make your home in the ways of the world. Now, I want you to know it's very easy to become a scoffer. Because you want to belong. And, you know, heaven. Where's heaven? Like, can you see it? No. Well, so it becomes very abstract, right? I want to belong in the community of heaven, but, but how do I do that? This is a very abstract idea. So you look around in the world, and there's all of these like, groups of people, and you just say, I can belong to that group. And then we, we get this like, warm feeling about belonging. And what we don't know is that warm feeling is making us into a scoffer because we are walking in the way of that group that might not be a good group for you, but you have no idea. Because you just want to belong. This is, again, why the church is so important. Because it's a community of people who are rooted in truth. Reorienting us. Because the problem is much of the way that our culture thinks, right? We want to belong, but much of the way our culture thinks is in opposition to the way God thinks. 
His ways are not our ways. So let me give you an example. The culture says, be free. Well, that sounds good. I want to be free. Become, be a slave to no one in nothing. Well, I, I guess there's something good behind that, right? Well, let's trace it out. What begins to happen is you say, I want to be free in anything that violates or comes in, that, that jeopardizes my freedom. I'm getting rid of. Well, if you have kids, they steal your freedom. The idea of marriage is you've made yourself a slave to that person. Like in the best possible way. If you want to be free with no attachments at all, you have no commitment in your life. Which means you have no real friendship. You have no real relationship because relationships require commitment. And so actually you've become a slave to chasing freedom. And it's far worse than it would have been. This is the idea of the Bible says make yourself a slave to Christ because he knows who you are and he knows best how you should live, best knows your ways. Make yourself a slave to him and then you'll truly be free. Otherwise, you're like a fish who wants to be out of the water and is convinced that freedom is outside of the water. And Jesus is like, here are your ways. Be free in the ocean. It's what you're made to be free in. Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, and the truth sets you free. So make him your master, and you'll finally find freedom. In every generation, I suppose, has its threat to truth. Our generation has been threatened by this idea that there is no real truth, and if there is, we can never really be sure that we have found it. And it, it sounds humble. Until you realize it's a truth claim in and of itself. So let me just help make sense of this. Years ago when I was a young buck, I was leading a Bible study in my house. And I was a young buck, so you know I'm trying to prove myself in this Bible study. And there's another young buck who was a lawyer. So he's a young buck lawyer, and he's trying to you know, show his argument skills. And my personality, like, um, I really like to debate. Like, it's deep in me, like... I, I thrive in that, like, that kind of thing, and it drives really everyone around me crazy, so I've learned to, like, basically pray for my wife. Um, but I've got someone here who wants to debate, so I'm excited, in a loving way. So he, he says, there's no such thing as absolute truth. And I said, are you sure? And he said, Yes. I said, are you absolutely sure? He said, I'm absolutely sure. I said, are you absolutely sure that there's no such thing as absolute truth? And he said, I am absolutely sure there's no such thing as absolute truth. And I just looked at him, and he realized what he did. And he's like, oh, if you don't know what I said, ask somebody next to you afterwards. To say that there is no truth is a truth claim that is not true. You must find what is true and then reorient your entire life around it. And if you don't, you're going to be living in this false world that you have created. And you'll be running in one direction, but it's the wrong direction. It's the false direction. It leads to death, not life. 
And then it says, if you don't find truth, reorient your life around it, you will become like chaff. What's that mean? It's this idea of farming, these winnowing. So what farmers would do is they want the wheat, but they don't want the chaff. And so how are they going to separate the two? Because they're, they're all like wound up together. So the way that they would do that is they would take the wheat and the chaff together and throw it up into the air. And the afternoon wind would blow the chaff away because it was weightless. And the wheat had weight to it, so it would fall to the earth. If you have no truth in you, you have nothing weighty in you. You have nothing glorious in you. The word glory is tied to weightiness. And so the chaff is weightless. It doesn't have glory. It lacks substance, so it's blown away. But the wheat that has truth in it falls back down to the earth. And it nourishes and gives life. To become the ideal man, you must, though, not just find truth, but you have to write it on the tablet of your heart. And the way that that happens is through biblical meditation. All right, so finally we're here. Last point. The Hebrew word for meditation is an onomatopoeic, which means... So you say the word bang. That makes you think of a gun. So the word, the word for meditation is like this murmuring. And what it's, what it's signifying is the person who is meditating sounds like they're speaking under their breath. And so he, why? Well, here's what happened. So way back when, there weren't Bibles just floating around everywhere. So people had to memorize scripture if they were going to keep it with them. And so they'd keep it with them by memorizing it, and then what they would do is they'd meditate it, they'd murmur it, they'd speak it underneath their breath all day. Now, also to, to know this, fun fact, it is not until recent that people have read silently. People throughout history have mostly read out loud. And so you have someone memorizing scripture, they're playing it over in their mind, and they're speaking it out loud. And so for us, we would see somebody doing that, and they would look like a crazy person. And so we'd go up to them and say, are you okay? What's going on? What are you doing? And they would say, it's okay. I am delighting in the law of the Lord. The law of the Lord is another way of saying the scriptures. Delighting in them. What does that mean for you? It means that if you're going to become this ideal man, this ideal woman, this ideal person, You have to immerse yourself in the scriptures. Completely immersed in the scriptures. The ideal man has been transplanted next to the streams of truth and he can't stop bathing in it. He loves God's word, cherishes it, delights in it. He ruminates on it and he ponders it day and night. He craves the Bible. And he lets it challenge him and correct him. Like the art of learning to receive God's word and humbly receive it and then let it correct you. I mean, this is difficult to do. We're stubborn people. And not just like, this is what I also see happen a lot. Someone is just like, 
I'm reading the Bible all the time. Like for six months, they just read the Bible. And then for the rest of their life, they're just like, they're just like working on the fumes that they had from way back when, when they were reading the Bible all the time. But the man who delights in the law of the Lord, he doesn't put it down. He doesn't graduate from it. He's not living from truth that he discovered in the past, but he's constantly exploring and rediscovering the truth in God's word. And when he does this, the truth becomes engraved upon his heart. Reading the Bible has turned into memory. Like, I've me- I remember this. I know this. It's in my memory. It's deep in me. But then it goes from memory in the mind to an engraving on the heart. And then, and only then, does your life begin to be reoriented around this truth that you've discovered. This is a completely day- way, different way of reading the Bible. I think it's rare to find people who read the Bible this way. But it's the way it gets to the root of who you are. I think we need a new generation of men and women who don't just carry their Bibles around. Like, that was cool, like, 10 years ago. Like, like the thing was like, oh, you know a Christian by, by their Bible and if they're carrying it around and if the pages are worn and if there's writing all in the Bible. And, you know, that worked for a while until, like, then we got phones Oh, my Bible's on my phone. And like, oh, do you have, which app do you have? Okay, you're one of the cool ones. We need a new generation of Christians who aren't just carrying their Bible around, but have the Bible written on the tablet of their heart. And I promise you, if that happens to enough people, our city will absolutely be changed. Why is the truth so powerful? Why does the truth change you? Why does the truth have the power to raise up and build a whole city or tear it down? Because the truth is a person. Christ, the way, the truth, the life. And he has left the streams of heaven. And he has come beside you. And he has planted himself in the wasteland. On the cross, he's planted in the wasteland, his roots dug into death and hell. But there, with his roots dug in, he wrapped his roots around you. And by faith in him, when he rises up from the dead, when he rises up from this cursed wasteland, you go with him as he's transplanting himself with you there beside the stream of truth. In the life-giving garden. He is the absolute truth. Every other truth is desperately pointing you to him. He's the alpha truth, the omega truth. Engrave him on the tablet of your heart and you will begin every single day to grow, to blossom, to flower into the version of you you've always been made to become. Let's go to him in prayer. Lord Jesus, you have come for us. You've left the beautiful streams of heaven, of Eden, of paradise. 
to come and rescue us. And you, the word, will not return to the Father void or empty, but you will carry us with you. We praise you for that. We love you for that. And we make you the truth that we now reorient our lives around. Because you reoriented your life around us to save us. So we praise you and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Message Podcast. Like us on your favorite podcast provider. Follow our social media at Grove Church PSL. And check out our website, thegrovechurch.co.